Good morning. Oh, there's a mic there. Um, thank you guys so much for being here. I was bummed a little bit that I couldn't be outside, but then I was thanking the Lord for those who would be here. Um, there's so many familiar places, and I am blessed. So before we begin, um, if you guys would pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day, Lord, and for this opportunity to get together together and hopefully hear your word and your truth. And Lord, I pray that this morning you would change us and make us more like you, Lord, that you would actually speak through me and that you would be the one that is glorified and renowned. In your name, amen. So if we were to ask you, uh, what makes Covenant different than all the other liberal arts Christian colleges out there? Most likely, you're gonna say, the community. Uh, when we ask freshmen or new students, what drew you to Covenant? You know, what drew you here? Most often we hear the community. When I ask students what they're most looking forward to, um, if it's a freshman, it's usually finding my community, or if it's a returning student, it's being back with my community after quarantine. When I ask an upperclassman what they're most hoping for this year, oftentimes it's deepening my community or finding my people. Because we see this theme that community here is one of the biggest draws, one of the biggest anticipations, and one of the biggest hopes. And it makes sense. We here at Covenant value this intentional community, these deep friendships. And we see this in the way that we structure our hall and events and classes. And we know that we're created as these relational beings. And so we have this longing to know and to know others and to be known and loved. And all of these things are true and good. And truly, I have witnessed, both past and present, some really beautiful examples and outworkings of friendship and community here. But as I've been reflecting on my own thoughts and feelings, as well as listening to some of you guys, I think we're running into a couple of issues. I think we're running into some breakdowns in our efforts of trying to cultivate community and friendships. And I think that in our efforts, Sometimes we experience more of the following. We feel tired, burdened, anxious, and lonely. We feel like we can't do all the things, be there for all of our people, fulfill all the expectations. We feel guilty for feeling drained or overwhelmed by the burdens of a friend, or we feel guilty and afraid of burdening a friend. We feel pressure to know the right things to say. We are weary from trying to love each friend to the fullest extent. We feel like we're constantly running behind and never able to catch up, always apologizing for feeling we're like we're not doing enough and hating that we're operating under such obligation. We hustle to secure plans for the weekend so we don't feel lonely or lame, worried that if we haven't found our people or our best friend that maybe it won't happen and then maybe that means we're not enjoyable or worthy. And finally, we feel like a failure when a relationship becomes unhealthy or experiences continual conflict, so we do everything we can to keep it together even to the point where health and the pursuit of holiness are compromised. Ugh. I don't know if any of that sounds familiar or if you can relate, but I know I can. I feel like even in reading all of those things, I was taken back to move-in day when we had to ask you guys if you'd experienced the 14 or so symptoms of possible COVID. You know, the 104-point fever, nausea, aches, diarrhea, muscle pain, all of that kind of stuff. And it's overwhelming, it's too long. It's not the way that it was supposed to be. And so if any of these are true, then perhaps something is off. 
and the way that we're thinking about and ordering our community and our friendships. Perhaps some of the burdens and the struggles that I've listed before are not the ones that the Lord is actually placing on us and asking us to bear. So where is this breakdown? What is happening? I wonder if at times we've become so sold on this desire for community that it has placed people above God and reordered our longings so that we expect people to know and love us in a way that only God can. And when we do this, community and friendships start to become the end goal and the means. And then we become susceptible to making community an idol and by extension making our friends an idol. And if community is the end goal and it's where all of our energy is poured into and our purpose and identity is found, then we will most likely experience these breakdowns. Now hear me say, I love this community. I do believe that this place is unique and special. I would not continue to work here and subject myself to living in a dorm where I hear people playing ping pong every hour of the day and night. One of the main reasons that I wanted to work here is because I saw this community was intentional and teachable, creative and collectively kind, which is why I'm so passionate about us talking about relationships and friendship and community and talking through some of these problems so that we might reflect God's design for us more fully in the way that we relate to one another, and in so doing, maybe experience relief from some of these burdens and issues. So now that we've identified this overwhelming long list, what do we do? Well, this past week, I was processing through this chapel with a dear friend of mine, Sarah Erickson, who works in admissions, and I was listening and brainstorming these problems that we were coming into and this idolization of community. And I was like, what's this thing that speaks into all of these things? You know, what is that thing that speaks into our burdens and our worry and being overwhelmed and trying to fulfill all of our expectations? And in her very gentle and yet direct way, she chuckled her reply, the gospel. I was like, ah, I did not think of that. And honestly, I think that's the issue. I didn't even think that the gospel has a lot to say and has this profound impact on the way that we think about and go about and order our relationships. And when the gospel is neglected and our pursuit of community becomes the end goal over pursuing Christ and his kingdom, then we are left with seeking a community for our own self-fulfillment rather than out of his created intent. We are left with feeling overwhelmed, burdened, and restless. And please do not mistake me. This does not mean that we throw out all of our friendships and start over. It doesn't mean that we are doomed. It also doesn't mean that every community and friendship is like this. There are some incredible examples and outworkings of friendship here. But I would bet that those good examples of friendship and community can be traced to an outworking of the gospel. So we have this opportunity to reflect and continually align and realign ourselves with God's design and his purpose for community. And we do this by knowing and living out the gospel. You might be saying, yes, Hannah, but what does that mean? And give me the practicals. What are the steps? Well, instead of steps, I want to ask three questions. What is the gospel? How does the gospel free us? And what does the gospel produce? And if we ask and answer these questions as they particularly rate, relate to community and friendship, we might come to see that there is hope in lifting some of these burdens and see that the truth actually does speak into and work out some of these relational burdens that we are bearing. So number one, what is the gospel and what does it do? 
You guys know this. I mean, the gospel is the person and the work of Jesus Christ through his life, through his death and his resurrection to free us, to save us from the penalty of sin. And it is through the gospel that we are declared as righteous, that we are made complete and whole in Christ. So the gospel is this salvific act, but it's also saving us for something. Jesus lived, died, and was raised so that we might have eternal life. And by his kingdom, we might be workers here on earth. The gospel saved us for his kingdom work. Therefore, my community and my friendships are ordered for something. They have purpose. Community and friendships are not for my own purposes and self-fulfillment. They are ultimately for kingdom work, and they are meant to go and bear fruit. And so instead of seeing friendship and community as solely a means to dispel loneliness, ensure plans for the weekends, provide constant entertainment, rather, it is a gift and an outworking of grace meant to be shared with others. Community and friendship, along with being a source of laughter and quality and joy, also provides a structure to ask the hard questions, to call out sin, to provide accountability, to invite people in, to go out and serve your community together as a means of reflecting the gospel. So that's the first question. That's what's the gospel and what does it produce? And the second question I wanna ask you is how does the gospel free us? How does the gospel free us in community and relationship? And settle in, because I have this really great list. The gospel frees you from having to be savior. It frees us from trying to see someone as a savior or trying to be someone else's savior. It frees us from seeking the hit that we get when our desire is say to another person, I want you to be okay, but I want you to want me to make you okay. And when we remember and know that Jesus is Savior, it frees us from seeking to fill and be fulfilled by another. And it allows us to actually genuinely be selfless. We can give of our time, our energy, our resources without throwing out boundaries. We're able to listen and ask hard questions, direct others to wiser counsel, and ultimately to the Lord, instead of pointing them to ourselves. Number two, the gospel frees us from having to be enough and to do enough. Because here's the reality, you and I were never asked to be enough. He didn't design us to be enough. Only in Christ, and only he is enough and can ever be enough, and he wants us to look to him as enough and know that only in him and through him are we enough. Jesus tells us in Matthew 11, 28 through 30, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And the reason that Jesus is saying this, and if we look at the context, the Jewish people were feeling weary and burdened because the Pharisees and the scribes were imposing this religious legalism and tradition upon them in order for them to feel like they had to do enough in order to atone for their sins and earn their salvation. And essentially, they were being told to do this in order to be enough. And Jesus responds by saying, come to me because I am enough. Notice he doesn't say, go to your friend. He doesn't say, go do penance. He says, come to me, because I am enough. He is saying, I am enough to save, to heal, and to atone and fill. And this doesn't mean we don't share burdens with each other and listen, but it does mean that we will not seek to point people to us and make them dependent upon us. And this is hard for me, especially as an RD, because I like to be needed. I like it when people also act like me. I always joke with my RAs that I'm trying to make them into my little minions. 
Um, an example of this, I sometimes refer to Starbucks often as Starbies or Starby Barbs. And one of my RAs was like, ugh, I said Starbies the other day. And I was like, yes, it's working. And I know that's a small example, and that's not really a big deal. But in a larger scale, if I'm seeking to point my RAs to me, and my mentees and my friends so that they look like me and they example me over Christ, and then we got issues. And so the gospel frees me from needing to be enough because Christ is enough. Number three, the gospel also frees us from finding our security in relationships and helps us to find our security in Christ. We throw this phrase around a lot, security in Christ. But one practical outworking of this idea is rather than equating our worth and our identity on whether we are invited to hang out with those who are considered popular, we can live into the fact that God has already declared us as worthy and, has, and we can experience confidence and freedom to reach out and invite others to hang out. Not just wait for the RA to plan an event or wait for someone else to seek you out, but when we're rooted and secure in the gospel, it frees us to reach out and to invite others in. Number four, the gospel and community frees us from comparison, from envy, from gossip, partiality, and discrimination. Because the gospel gives us this lens to see others as fellow image bearers, holy and sacred, and so we never feel permission to tear them down or to elevate ourselves above them. Number five, the gospel frees us from sizing people up as potential best friends or being on the hunt to find the community, the friend group, or the hall that fits us best in our ideal community. And instead, we're free to look for ways that we can reach out and serve others and be pleasantly surprised by that happy circumstance of meeting a new friend. Number six, the gospel frees us from the need to fully know and love others and from looking to others to fully know and love us because Christ has already filled that, and he is pretty jealous over anyone who tries to take that role in our lives. Number seven, the gospel frees us to extend grace and forgiveness in our community and friendships, because we know that the grace and forgiveness has been extended to us by the cross. And this lack of forgiveness, which leads to bitterness, and bitterness is just a poison. It's a poison to you and to your community, but the gospel frees us to be able to forgive. Number eight, the gospel frees us to be alone without spiraling into feelings of loneliness and questioning your worth and likability. The gospel helps us to see solitude and communion with Christ as necessary for healthy community. Bonhoeffer, in his book Life Together, um, he writes, there are Christians who cannot endure being alone, who have had some bad experiences with themselves, who hope they will gain some help in association with others they are generally disappointed. Then they blame the fellowship for what is really their own fault. The Christian community is not a spiritual sanatorium. The person who comes into fellowship where he is running away from himself is misusing it for the sake of diversion, no matter how spiritual this diversion may be. He is really not seeking community at all, but only distraction, which will allow him to forget his loneliness, but only for a brief time. I felt like that's like a knife to the heart. The gospel frees us to be alone and to seek community with Christ rather than looking at my community to fill me and to satisfy me. Number nine, the gospel frees us to be finite. It frees us to go to bed at a timely hour rather than feeling like we need to stay up every night, either out of obligation to a friend or out of FOMO. It frees us to exercise boundaries and be human by eating well, sleeping, exercise, and being with Jesus. 
and then not feel like we're being selfish with our resources. Number 10, the gospel frees us to bear burdens alongside of others in a way that does not place you and I as the healer, but rather as the intercessor. It is not cheesy or a cop-out to tell someone that you're praying for them. Just make sure you do it. Sometimes we find ourselves saying, I don't know what else to do, so I'll just pray for you, as if it's second best. And I know what we're saying. It's because we don't want to promote this false notion that prayer is this magic incantation that will suddenly make everything okay. We've become frustrated by this idea that if we just pray about it, it will be okay. And it's true. Praying about it doesn't mean that it will all be okay. But that's not how prayer is supposed to be used and understood in the first place. Instead of seeing prayer as this cop-out from empathy or this over-spiritualizing act, what if we understood it as this powerful recognition that you and I are not savior and that outside of the wisdom and power of the Holy Spirit, you offer very little? That you cannot understand exactly what that person is going through and experiencing, but there is a God who can, a God who is the God of all comfort and who has experienced it all. And when you do that, you are saying, I alone cannot bear this burden that you are having to hold, but God can. And so let me lead you to the cross. And lastly, the gospel frees us to love God and love others. Matthew 22, 36, 40 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. I think sometimes we invert this passage, and we think that if we love others and then love God, then by extension we will, or love others and love ourselves, by extension we will then love God. But to quote my dear friend Sarah Erickson again, you have to have you with God and then you with others. But if you have you with others in a healthy biblical way, sorry, if, if you don't have you with others in a healthy and biblical way without you and God, then it doesn't work. You have to have you with God and then you with others. And so the gospel frees us to love God and then love others. So all of that is what the gospel frees us to do in community. And to the third question, what does the gospel produce in our community and friendships? Well, first, the gospel produces the fruit of the Spirit. When we are rooted and filtered and informed by the gospel, we we are able to love genuinely without pretense. We're able to experience joy and celebration without comparison. We're able to be peacemakers and then listen and engage in healthy conflict. We're able to exercise patience and grace rather than contributing to cancel culture. We are able to be kind and curious about the lives of others. We're able to promote goodness and wholesomeness in what we take in and dish out. We're able to be faithful and trustworthy and uphold our word. We're able to be gentle and meek in considering others greater than ourselves. We are able to exercise self-control, realizing that all our actions have a communal effect. And the second thing is the gospel produces a kingdom mindset. This is key. It produces a kingdom mindset in our community and friendships. In Matthew 6, 25 through 33, Jesus says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, or do not be anxious about anything, what we shall eat or what we shall drink or what shall we wear. For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all will be added to you. You and I are called to seek the kingdom and his righteousness. And this is actually so freeing and encouraging, 
Because instead of Jesus requiring me to one by one fix all of those problems that I listed in the beginning, he's asking me to seek his kingdom, to submit my life, my desires, my friendships, community, and my hopes unto him so that he might order them and purpose them. And essentially, he's asking me to live and to commune with others according to his word. Therefore, I need to be in his word. And I know you guys have heard this all the time, and I can feel like maybe some of the eye rolls. But the word contains the gospel. And if you are sitting here wanting something practical of how the gospel will give you a better community, then you've got to go back to the word. Because the gospel leads us to biblical friendship and community. And it makes us understand that it is not something that we achieve, but something that we experience when we are living according to the gospel. The Bible tells us about the life of Jesus and how he lived in his community, and then he invites us to live like him. Now, I'm not saying that if you read your Bible every day, all will go well and your community will be perfect, because we know that's not true. Back on January 1st, 2020, when we were excited about this year, I made a goal and a resolution to read my Bible every day. And if that goal was motivated by the idea that reading my Bible would produce a good life with all of my desires met, I would have stopped reading it on March 12, 2020, when the whole world kind of blew up. Being in the Word every day has not made every day peachy. What it has done is it has reminded me of my hope and my security. It convicts me of sin, and it leads me to the cross to experience forgiveness. It reminds me of those moments of anxiety and loneliness that the Lord is not out of control or scrambling to figure things out. He has a plan. But his plan does not revolve around me and my every whim being met. And so by being in his word, my eyes are opened and they're more aware of the way that he is blessing me and answering prayers. And I have to ask if this practical application of being in the word is not enough for us, then maybe we need to ask ourselves, is my communion with God less important than my desire for friends and community? So we're told to seek his kingdom and his righteousness, and then we're told that all will be added. But this doesn't mean that all we want will be added to us. The Lord does promise to provide for our essential needs, but he never promises that he will provide for our every desire. There are many good desires that we will have that the Lord will not fulfill here on earth. And if we start to categorize our desires as needs and then expect the Lord to fill them based on this passage, then we're placing our hope in a false prosperity gospel. And if we're ordering our lives around the fulfillment of our desires, then we're actually gonna miss out on kingdom work and probably become more weary and more dissatisfied. This doesn't mean that we don't lay our desires before the Lord, or that we don't ask him for close friends or sweet community. And in fact, the Lord invites you to go to him and to ask him for those things, but he asks you to submit them unto him, for him to do according to his will. So to sum it all up, community and friendship, good thing, God-given thing, something that we can long for and value. But when this desire becomes an idol, it can lead to a slew of problems that draw us to seek our own self-fulfillment and can actually perpetuate the issue rather than experience the freedom and fulfillment found in Christ and in gospel-centered relationships. I had a professor at every class period would say, every day, preach the gospel to yourself and then preach it to someone else. 
And so I want to close by declaring the gospel over you through a blessing. And this is a blessing that I end every RA staff meeting with. It's a blessing that I stole from a coworker at Wheaton, and it's this really beautiful reminder of the gospel. And I ask my RAs every meeting to look me into the eyes, and it might be kind of awkward. But if you guys would look at me as I say this blessing over you and remember the gospel. So remember this, that God loves you more than you can ever imagine. And he loves you with a love that has no beginning and no end. It is a love that you did not have to earn and you can never lose. It doesn't matter if you feel stressed or at ease, righteous or guilty, lonely or with friends, he loves you. And he loved you so much that he sent his son to live for you and to die for you and to be raised for you. And even now, Jesus is before the Father speaking words of love on your behalf and he will return to renew you and all of creation because he loves you. This is the most true thing about you. It's the first fact of your existence. And before anything else can be said, this must be said, that God loves you and that will never change. Amen.